Turn with me now to Second uh, Kings chapter one. Second Kings chapter one verses one through eighteen, beginning to read uh, at verse one. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go, inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from the injury, this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, it is because there is no is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the, the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, What kind of man was it who came up to, you to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah. Oh, and, and he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his men. So he went up to him and there he was sitting on top of a hill. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, has said come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Then he sent to him another captain of fifty with his fifty men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to him, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, he sent a third captain of fifty with his fifty men. And the third captain of the fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, man of God, please let my men, let, let, me, let my life and the life of my fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look. Fire has come down from heaven and has burned up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties. But let my life now be precious before your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire, about, uh, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, it is, because, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place. In the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king 
of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. We see as we begin this, uh, the book of 2 Kings, flowing from the book of 1 Kings, we, we, we see that this book, we're tempted to think that it's a mere history, that it is a, a continuation of the details of the kings. But we see here that this is uh, as much a theology lesson as it is a history lesson. It's a theology lesson because God is dealing with his people Israel against the backdrop of this great question. Who is God? Who is the Lord? Is, is God the Lord in, in uh, charge of the activities of this world? Or is it the gods that men make up? The gods of the, the men's minds like the uh, Belshabob of Ekron. Whose world is this anyway? And what we see here is that um, this, uh, this question comes down to uh, various proofs. And the proofs come down to the power, the evident power that is available to prove the case. Now the title of the sermon is Proofs of God's Existence. But the... Um, the point is that God wants us, God wants the world to know that he does exist. So often this world goes through its various histories, its various permutations, its developments, its ascents and its devolutions. God, the world goes through this. And so often men are completely negligent of giving God his due. But in this transition between first and second Kings, we see here that God is very jealous that men would understand that he is the true God and that this is a big issue. Now, God doesn't always make a point of this issue, but at various times in history, he does. Uh, when the greatest potentate of, of an earlier day, the Pharaoh of Egypt, would not let the children of Israel go after God had commanded it, God had a contest with Egypt. And he despoiled Egypt. He, he made a mockery of the power of Egypt and the power of Pharaoh. All the, the majesty of Pharaoh's court came to naught. All his chariots came to nothing. They were drowned in the sea. And so periodically God makes these demonstrations. And on this occasion, God makes another demonstration to make this clear. Now, why is it, after all of these demonstrations, that uh, the countries of the world, the kings of the world, do not shake with fear and respect of the living God. But we know that they, they don't. They so quickly, after these great powerful demonstrations, they incline themselves or they fall back into uh, this more humanistic way of thinking. Whatever men are thinking, whatever they're decreeing, Men get inclined to that idea. And it's not very long until they're very afraid of the voice of men and disregarding uh, the and dismissive of the voice of God. We see this in our own day. We live in a very secular day. Uh, the Western history at this point has made a number of radical turns. It made a radical turn in the first century with the coming of Christ. And the, um, the establishment of the messianic kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and then nations that began to be affected by that 
Messianic uh, kingdom. And it made, uh, it made great changes in the 1500s with the Reformation and countries again that became responsive to the call of the Reformation, the call of the gospel as it was rediscovered by Luther and Calvin and Knox and Zwingli and people like that. And so um, we've seen these great turns of history, but today it's like the Reformation never happened. It's like Christ never came. It's like the thousand-year reign of the Messianic kingdom or of Christendom uh, from, the, from the earliest days to the time of the Reformation. It's like that never happened. Uh, since, the, um, since the Renaissance and the, um, and the times of the developments of that in the Enlightenment, uh, we're here on a, a new day, a very secular day, where you can you can run for office in the most powerful countries of the world and say nothing about the living God and His power. So here we find ourselves. This is not. This is an earlier day when we take a peek at this history. This is God's own God's own country, God's own history, that of Israel. This this vine that He planted to establish his Old Testament kingdom, and his own people have divided now north and south between the northern ten tribes and these southern two tribes, and the, and the northern ten tribes have gone their own way very quickly, radically quickly. It's, it's, uh, it's mind-blowing how they could go in such a short time from the glories of David and Solomon to these days where they're making covenants with the foreign powers and... Uh, and uh, being dismissive of the Lord God as we see here in our text this morning where the king gets hurt and then he goes and he searches out for uh, Baal as above uh, the, this, the God so, so named as the God of Ekron. And how could this happen? But it did happen. And so what we see here is that God intercedes with power. God is going to prove his case. And again, I say, he makes these proofs periodically. He always makes them with power. In the first century, he made his proof with uh, raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Who ever heard of a dead man rising from the dead? But God did it. God proclaimed it. He preached about it ahead of time and prophesied of it by the voice of our Lord. And then when they, when the greatest potentates of that day, the uh, the uh, uh, Roman Empire, when they decreed the death of Christ, our Heavenly Father decreed the life of Christ. A complete reversal. And the decrees of Caesar, Caesar came to nothing as the, our Lord rose up from the dead, making a mockery of the word words of men. And so God would uh, so despoil the, the words of Ahab and his children, his sons, uh, at this point, with uh, what happens in this chapter. And it's well worth our, our noticing these things. We notice right away in verse 1, and at the, the ver second Kings starts quickly. Now this was a completely separate scroll in terms of its... Um, transmission. It was part of the same book, but they sometimes these longer books like Isaiah uh, or the Psalms, sometimes these books needed two scrolls to be written. And, and so 2 Kings was written on, a, on a, a separate scroll. 
And uh, so it begins with these words. It begins with with the word, with the noun, the proper noun for a pagan country, Moab, the Moabites. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now that ought to be a clash against your conscience. A book of the Bible begins with the, the, the proper noun for a pagan country, Moab. Um, uh, it's so different from the reigns of David and Solomon. When all of these countries, all of these previous enemies of Israel, these agitators on the fringe of Israel's territory, like Ammon and Moab, when they were completely subdued and they were passive and they were paying tribute to David and Solomon, they, they were stumbling over themselves to honor the kings of Israel. But that's no longer the case with Second Kings. Now, Moab rebels against Israel after the death of Ahab. Some people with kind of a humanistic logic would point to this and they say, well, you see, Ahab was fairly successful, though being a pagan, anti-Christ, anti-God. He, he had influence there in the Middle East, and he did. Um, he was a strong king, albeit a pagan king. But in this case, when he dies, Moab rebelled against Israel after his death. So that's the first thing we see. Second thing we see here is that Ahaziah, his son, um, fell through the latest of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. Ahaziah, Ahab and Ahaziah, they had made the, they had constructed the palace in the way that they thought was wise, but they'd made a few mistakes here and there, and uh, which they discovered when the son, the king, the new king, falls through uh, the, the carpentry the latest of a floor, and uh, injures himself severely. So severely that he's he wants to know from a prophetic source whether he will live or whether he will die. And so he sends his men out to uh, obtain messengers of this, but he makes, a, gra- he makes a, uh, a radical mistake by, instead of seeking the Lord and one of his prophets, he goes to seek uh, the prophets of Baal, uh, under Sir who served Beelzebub, and uh, this is still used as a name for a satanic entity, Beelzebub. Um, and so he, he inquires to him whether he would inquire from his injury. Now the third or the um, um, the third thing here is that we see this this radical um, interruption of this project. Because it says, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. So we we have Moab first. Moab kind of jolts our consciousness. And within two or three verses, we have this mention of the angel of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, there, there were many angels of the Lord, emissaries of the living God coming down from heaven to speak to men to announce the birth of Christ and these kinds of things. But there is a, when, it, when there's an article in front of the, the word angel, when it says the angel of the Lord, it's only, it's only one person, brothers and sisters. That's a pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one angel that has significance above all, all the other angels. Now, an angel is not primarily some flittery, ghostly kind of thing that's flitting around in the air. 
Uh, an angel is a, in Hebrew, it literally means messenger, a messenger of God. And, um, and so the, the, the angel of the Lord is the primary, the, the messenger, the, the messenger above all other messengers who has a message for men. And of course, the moment we describe it that way, we think of the Lord Jesus. He was the incarnate Word of God, because he was the eternal Word of God. It was through the Lord Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, that a message went forth that there would be a world created. And so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word said, as it says in Genesis 1, let there be light, and there was light. In the absence of anything in the universe, in the absence of a universe, Things began to come into being because they were spoken uh, through from the, the Father through the Son into existence. And so here again, at a time of great confusion, when Ahab didn't know the difference between a real God and a pagan God, a made-up God, why do men insist on such hubris and making up such things as the existences of a God, of gods who are not gods? But in this case, uh, Ahab sends his soldiers to, to obtain a prophetic statement from the god Beelzebub, and he's interrupted on the road by Elijah the Tishbite. And I think, I think this is, it's, it's really, there's a, there's a humor in this, because Elijah thinks that he can just live out his existence according to his own dictates. This reminds us of a certain president that we have right now who believes that he can dictate reality, dictate prosperity, dictate business, dictate this, dictate that. And over and over again, without even an angel appearing, uh, God is having fun with our president. And in many ways, he's making a mockery of him. There's a guy there, he's pontificating this way and that way, he's saying what... And, and he appears before the watching world as the weakest, most foolish man that we have ever had in that office. But it hasn't come clear to him yet that he continues to do this and do that. Well, in this day, I, I think you have the same kind of humor because it, the furthest thing from Ahab's mind was that God would make an appearance in his kingdom. He thought he controlled all the causes and all the effects. And so he sends these men out. And then he meets a true prophet of Israel on the road with no ceremony, no trumpets, no men of arms. It's just this one man, Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah makes his declarations there to this armed corps of soldiers. And um, you notice that they turn around right away. They go back to the king, and then he says, well, why are you here so quickly? You know, what, what, you obviously haven't gone, been gone that long to, to, to accomplish what I sent you to do. What, what's going on? They said, well, we met a man. <laughs> he says, who was this man? What did he look like? And he said, oh, he's a hairy man. He wore, wears a sash upon his middle. And the king says, oh, <laughs> Elijah the Tishbite. Uh, he knows right away who he is. Uh, this and this, he knows of him through his father. His father hated Elijah and refused to listen to Elijah. And yet he passed along certain bits of information to his son. And so um, we see in uh, the, the ninth verse now, uh, four in our outline here, 
that a power contest begins. And the king, refusing to repent, kings like this, kings like Mr. Biden, they refuse to draw in. They, they, they refuse to recognize any sovereign over them, any superior. And so in verse 9, it says, So um, the king sent to him a captain of 50 with 50 men. Now imagine this, 50 armed men to deal with this one, this one man. That all he is is a prophet of God. Why did he need, need such an armed force like this? This, this force would have been... Uh, able to take care of, uh, you know, a hundred or so uh, typical Israelites in this day, but they're sent to deal with one man. So he sent a captain of 50 with his men. So he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on top of a hill, and he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, calm down. So Elijah, <laughs> Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from the heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Men of God, who, thus, thus has the king said, The king, you know, the king, the big guy, come down quickly. So what does Elijah say? He answers and says to them, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. I, I wonder if they started to break from the pack at that point and head for the hinterlands. But whatever, fire from heaven came down and consumed them. And so the, the, the king was resolute in his hubris, makes a third decree and sends a, a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. But this captain has been studying the power game of the day. He's been, he's been, he's been attentive to what's been going on, to, the, to what's been coming back, because, of course, the word comes back to the king each time. The men don't come back because they've been consumed. They've been uh, atomized by the divine fire from heaven. But the word comes back to him, um, king, uh, you know those men you sent? They, uh, there's nobody here to report from them because they were vaporized, king, because... Uh, Elijah the Tishbite said, if I am a man of God, then let the fire from heaven come down and consume these men. So uh, Ahaziah says once again, you know, send another 50, and third time send another 50. But with this third group, uh, the, his source, his king was not a godly man, but the, 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 the captain, and believe me, his men were very thankful that he was more of a godly man. He falls on his knees before Elijah, and he says to Elijah, uh, would you have mercy on us? Uh, we have this message for you, but uh, uh, I, I'm coming to you, petitioning you, and not commanding you. Uh, man of God, verse 13, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look! Fire has come down from heaven, has burned up the first two captains of the 50s with their 50s. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And that's when the angel of the Lord says to Elijah, go down with him and do not be afraid of him. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ gives us commands. He says, go into the world and preach the gospel of Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, do not fear the arms and the anger of men. Know that I am with you always, that I shall never leave you or forsake you. And so here, our Lord speaks such a word to 
this this man of God or this 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 captain and his fifty, and uh, and God says through uh, thee uh, through thee um, uh, angel of the Lord uh, uh, because um, uh, he says please uh, please go go with this man uh, I will keep you safe and so Elijah goes and. Uh, Elijah comes to the king, and uh, he, in verse 16, he says to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, it is, because, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Now you see the zeal here of the Lord in terms of God's authority and his identity. Uh, this is not... This might be a kind, the kind of thing that most of us would just let pass, but uh, God, God takes it as a as an insult. God, God understands what it means to go and consult uh, the pagan, made-up, false gods versus Him, and so He just chooses out of His own divine will. He chooses this day and this time just to put His foot down upon the foolish machinations of men. Um, would that we had a, uh, a prophet uh, Elijah to put to, to challenge the men of our day. Uh, well he does and after a fashion he has us, his servants who will preach these things to our day and even though uh, we even though God has not told us that he will come down with such fire from heaven, uh, God has authorized us to preach messages to these people that they are not God and that there's a vast difference between the words of God, the word of God, and the word of men. God today mainly does these things through frustrating the, uh, the, the, the men of this world, frustrating the Putins and the Chinese leaders, they, they think that they can do one thing, they decree it, and then it turns out that their decrees are worth nothing because God has decreed something contrary. And so it is here with America. I love some of the modern speeches that are made by our government talking about the totalitarian rulers of the world. And as they're speaking and making this, drawing this vast gulf between themselves and these foreign kings, I think to myself, what difference is there between you and them? Uh, they are unjust, but you are unjust too. Maybe you're a little bit less unjust. Maybe you have. Maybe your bloodlust is a little bit less than theirs. But in truth, you're doing the same kinds of things. You're robbing and cheating and stealing, just as Naboth's vineyard was robbed by Ahab. So today, uh, there's the same effort being made to rob uh, some more righteous people of their stuff and of their money, and of their wealth. And so, um, but God does not so often choose to, to come down with fire, but he does warn all these people that they need to be careful. Psalm 83 talks about the magistrates of this world. It's the, it's the, uh, the psalm where Jesus quoted when, uh, he said, when he said, ye are God, they had, they had accused him of being God, or said that he was, he was uh, claiming to be God, and, uh, and they, they said, you know, are, are, you, are you not worthy of death? And he said, does the psalm say you, ye are gods? It's a cold quoting from Psalm 83. In Psalm 83, it talks about the magistrates or the rulers or the judges of this world. And it says uh, that uh, these people have 
uh, the responsibility to serve the Lord. And if not, they need to be aware that God will break forth against them with his judgments, just as he broke forth here against Isaiah. And so uh, Elijah goes and he makes this prophecy before Isaiah. And the Bible doesn't describe here how it happened exactly. It doesn't give all the details. But Ahaziah said that this king, having fallen through the latest lattice uh, construction of his of his uh, castle, that he would uh, he would not come down from his bed; that he would die there upon his bed. And so the decree of the prophet of God worked out, and Ahaziah died above. Ahaziah had no other son. Ahab had no other male sons, and so the kingdom passed to Jehoram, which is covered in the uh, in the 17th verse of this chapter. But um, this passage, if you ask why is this in the Bible, what's going on here, this passage is obviously uh, proof of a contest between man and God, between God's word and man's word, between God's ways and, and our ways. And uh, God proves by his power God proves who is true, what is real, and what is false. And at this juncture in the history of Israel, where Israel was departing from their God, God makes it very plain by these displays of power. He makes it very clear who God is, where the truth is, and who will, in the end, win out. It reminds me of of, uh, Psalm Uh, Psalm 2, where God is talking about the rebellions of the nations and that sort of thing. And in in verse 7, God says, "Uh, Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the only genuine, bona fide Messiah that is a representative, an angel of the Lord, if you will, a messenger from the the heights of heaven to the lower parts of this earth. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who is true. And we know that because God has declared the decree. And everyone in this world who today thinks that they can carry on their life without giving honor to the Lord Jesus as the Messianic King, They are set on a very, very foolish course. God has made it plain by the messianic signs that he gave during the life of Jesus. The the, the making of the, the multiplying of the loaves and the fishes, the walking on the water, the curing of people who had been lame from birth. Again and again and again, God made his powerful displays, these proofs of the existence of God and of the identity of the true Messiah. I know I've studied in philosophy proofs for the existence of God of various forms, one and another. These are still going on today. Are these proofs legitimate? Are they they germane? Are they applicable? Are they real or not? But over and over again in the Bible, God makes these kinds of proofs, and they're, they're proofs based upon power. There's no conjecture. There's no need for inference. It's in your face. The third captain comes and he falls on his knees admitting that the God 
of the Bible that the God of Israel was the true God. Israel were the, the nation and the people of God as the name itself insists, and this God really did exist. This it's out of, and it's out of this context, out of this um, planting, this vine that was planted, it's out of this planting that our Lord Jesus rises up, a humble servant, and yet full of all of the power of the creation. And he gives us these promises to cast ourselves upon him, to trust him, to trust his salvation. Did Jesus really do righteousness? Well, what, what did the powerful displays of his power do? What did they say? What did they teach? Yes, what Jesus said was what Jesus did. He is true. And so all of his promises are promises that are regaled with power and they're powerful presentations for us that we might trust in his name and then the great things that he has done. Is it foolish to believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it a vanity? Is it like disobeying Mr. Biden and his word? You see the, the gulf that stretches between that and this. There's no, there's no continuity or no resemblance between God and man. God is God. And we are his simple, we creatures. We are like grass, God says, that the sun consumes. And so let us clothe, let us take the power that we see in 2 Kings 1. And like the good captain, let us fall on our knees and let us show our love, our affection for the word of God and all of its truth, and especially the word of God as it summarizes this great message that has come through the angel of the Lord, even the Lord Jesus, to us. Let us rejoice in this powerful proof that God is exactly who he said he was and his son is exactly who he said he was to the praise and the honor of the glory of God. Our Father and our God, we pray that in this contest in this world between the gospels of men and thy gospel, we pray that we might see the difference, that we might know the difference. Oh God, if we are insensitive to these things, if we are in Kuwait, we pray, O oh Lord, that thy spirit would dash our pride to pieces and teach us about thy might and thy power and thy goodness. For in thy name, goodness is wed with power and thy power proves that thou art the living God and that thy son is thine only begotten son in whom thou art well pleased. Bless us in him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.